Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, good morning once again. Good morning. Are you ready to get back to the Gospel of Mark? It's been a while. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father, it's been a couple months since we've been in the Gospel of Mark, and we ask now that your Holy Spirit would help us concerning a a most difficult passage, a passage that talks about the unfortunate uh, experience of divorce. And uh, through this passage, Lord, we are looking for instruction and guidance and, and comfort and hope and Father, just a a really sensitive subject. We need your spirit to help us. In Christ's name, amen. When the kids were in grade school for a few years, in the early years, they went to public schools, and one of them came home with a question, probably third grade, fourth grade, something like that, And the question really took me by surprise. They said, Dad, when are you and Mom going to get revorced? (laughs) And so I said, whoa, wait, what? And I said, "Uh, let's sit down and have a chat. Uh, First of all, hey, I think you met divorced. And I'm really curious why in the world Uh, you would be worrying or wondering about that. And they said, well, a lot of my friends at school, their parents are are divorced, divorced, and they talk a lot about it, and I just figured that that's what parents do, and I was just waiting for you guys. And my heart was tweaked on several levels. You you know, uh, from it came a, a beautiful teaching moment, Uh, where I was able to talk about the world and God's plan for marriage and, uh, you know, a little sweet assurance about our own personal lives that how mommy and daddy are committed in love and that would never happen in our house. They walked off looking uh, somewhat relieved, I'm happy to say. Uh, Now, I sat there pondering as they walked away. I mean, I'll never forget it. It was one of those moments of of knowing I can't protect them anymore from the realities out there in the world and just wishing I could, watching them grow into a world that's fallen and filled with a lot of heartache. And so, yeah, so many of my friends and so many of our friends and so many of our family and so many of our lives, there's not one person probably in this room and in the room to come, second service, who hasn't been uh, either directly or indirectly impacted by the D word, divorce. 
You know, the stats go up and down, but I just checked 2.3 million weddings last year in America and 870,000 filed for divorce. So you can do the math. I just say, you know, that's a lot of heartache. Now, stats jump around a lot. You hear a bunch of stuff, and there's a lot of fake news out there, I believe. Uh, but really, it's about 30%, some of the more um, reliable uh, sources, 30% in the world and 15% in the church. Well, you know what? It doesn't really matter because one divorce is one too many divorces for God in his economy and his design because he hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorced people. He said, I hate divorce because of the pain and because of what it does to you and your kids and our relationship and, and what it says to the world about Christ and his covenant with his people, which marriage was intended to reflect. And so, yeah, um, Things are rough out there for sure. And so um, high stats for sure and uh, a scary world to live in. Um, But whatever is going on in the world and in the church, we have God who promises to heal and restore and walk with us and comfort us. And so as we pick up where we left off, When life interrupted our teaching through the Gospel of Mark before the fires and before Christmas, we're going to resume our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. Now, you'll recall, I promised you, what did I say? I said, after we get past the fires and after we get through the holidays, we can talk about divorce. (laughs) (laughs) You know, kind of sounds funny, but that's exactly what it is. We weren't going to talk about divorce when we were all trying to rebuild our lives after the fires. And then it wasn't a, a Advent came and it was time to talk about Ruth and the story behind Christmas. And, and now this is where it falls. We don't skip over. Now, if ever there was a passage, I might be tempted to say, hey, let's talk about let the little children come to me because that's right after this one, right? I think, but... You know, last night, Barb from the other room said, what did you just say? Why did you ask? Why did you say, Lord, have mercy on me? Right? So I was ironing my shirt, and I said, Lord, have mercy on me. And I didn't even know I said it. But I was thinking about this morning, (laughs) about the sermon and divorce and the hurt that it's caused so many people and who would be sitting here listening to these words. So I said, Lord, have mercy on me. And and then she said, explain that. Why did you say that? And then I told her, and she goes, is that all? (laughs) She's so funny. So, yeah, so here we are. Uh, We have gotten past the fires and past the holidays. Now, the crowds have gathered around Jesus, as uh, was common. And again, Jesus is teaching them. And in the crowd, he has a couple detractors, people who don't like him. They're called Pharisees. They're spying, and they're trying to trip him up. And the way they're going to try to trip him up on this occasion is just putting forth a seemingly innocuous or harmless question about divorce. So here's how it goes. We'll read the passage in its entirety, 
and then we'll walk through as we like to do. So here we go. Jesus then left that place, Galilee, went south into the region of Judea, and he crossed east across the Jordan into a place called Perea. Talk about that. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught and healed them. Matthew's going to just say. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason, Matthew added. What did Moses command you, Jesus replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. I would have said, then why are you asking me? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's a trap question, Jesus. Of course we know the answer. Verse 5. And by the way, Jesus says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But that's not the way it was from the beginning, at the beginning of creation. God made them male and female, Genesis 1.27. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, Genesis 2, verse 24. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman, except for marital unfaithfulness, commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. That, my beloved wife, is why I asked the Lord to have mercy on me. (laughs) Now, if you're a new visitor, welcome. (laughs) And, you know, uh, listen, uh, one thing for sure, new visitor, you will know, you know, this won't be boring, all right? (laughs) You will watch a man, a pastor, try to walk through a bed of hot coals, without getting his bare feet scorched. And so uh, thank you for your prayers and thank you for these verses. You can leave them up there as we give a little context. So before we dive in to understand, apply, and let me give you the framework of these words that will be oh so very important. These words are blunt, they are direct, they are unyielding, uh, and they are sharp because... The passage is a rebuke to his enemies about a fraudulent question that is trying to entrap him. This is not a teaching on marriage. It is a slap back at the Pharisees who are trying to trick him and hinder and harm him. So you must understand Jesus' tone and words without taking away any of his truth, but understanding and applying it in the framework in which it appears. Now, there are beautiful, instructive passages on marriage in the Bible. I could recommend the book of Proverbs, so many beautiful, of chapter 5 and, and chapter 18 and chapter 19. Ephesians chapter 5 comes to mind. How about 1 Peter chapter 3 or 1 Corinthians 7? 
There's these beautiful passages about marriage. This is not a beautiful passage of first intention teaching about marriage. This is a correction. This is a rebuke. This is a diabolical scheme and an abuse by men who want to justify through legal divorce their adultery. So Jesus is not going to play the game and he answers directly and sharply and he is unyielding. And so that's the first thing. The second thing before we dive in, this is a church where grace is really overflowing. This is a hospital for spiritually sick people. Not one person, including myself, has it all together. There are many people sitting here who grew up with the pain of divorce, who divorced themselves multiple times, who are divorced, I should say, or considering divorce, or walking through divorce right now or single and committing adultery because you're giving yourself to somebody who you don't have marital vows with, or some guy dealing with pornography. They're they're related things. And as we sit here and hear these words, you have got to know that this is a safe place where we do life together. That's what koinonia means. It means we have small groups for young marrieds. It means take advantage of that. Open up. You share. You're struggling. Is there such thing as a marriage without conflict and struggles? We do life together. And if you have failed in a marriage or if your marriage is failing, you are welcome here. Jesus says to us, whoever comes to me, I will never turn them away. So God's plan is not through these words to an enemy about a false idea of entrapment. These aren't his words to someone who's struggling in their marriage or been victimized by somebody through divorce or grew up hurting or has all kinds of... To them, he speaks differently. And even if you were the foolish one and played the fool, are you back on track now? He says, come to me. And you will find grace and mercy in your time of need. So that said, without throwing the truth aside, we don't just comfort one another and say, yeah, you can do whatever you want. We'll call each other out. But it's a safe place to call each other out, to bring comfort along with truth. So that said, let's dive in verses 1 and 2. Now, I want to say to you that um, I love this verse in, in Psalm 18. It says, to the pure, to the upright God, you show yourself pure and upright. In, in other words, to a straight shooter, you, straight sh- you, you shoot straight with them. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. So he's kind of saying, like, if you want to play games with God, Right, He will beat you at your own game. And that's exactly what you're going to see happen before. So, so, So let's take a look at the shrewdness of Christ, the God man dealing with these despicable men. Jesus then 
uh, leaves Galilee, crosses over the Jordan, you see in your text now. And crowds begin to dog him, as they always did, to hear the God-man speak with authority and wisdom, right? And uh, no one talked like Jesus did because no one was God in a human body, you know? So he's teaching, doing what he's always done, and there's bad guys in the crowd. In your text, you're reading in front uh, behind me, and there usually are bad guys in every crowd. And the Pharisees put him to the test with this question, is it lawful, they say, is it biblical, is it okay with God for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? That's, Matthew frames it that way for us. So that Jesus is busy here. He's busy teaching. And he's teaching, uh, and the truth is setting people free. And there's a, quite a bit of joy, quite a bit of healing, and the celebratory atmosphere, and the kingdom of God is advancing. And he's teaching, the, the truth is setting their hearts free. Now, um, He's answering all their questions, the honest ones and the insincere ones, and this one is insincere. So in the midst of, get the picture, in the midst of all this joyous hallelujah, people are being healed, the word of God is resounding, hope, good news, light, people are coming out of darkness, they're coming out of the slavery of sin, and under the spell of the evil one, man, what could be better? So, you know, somebody's not happy. The devil's not happy. So he needs to throw a wrench and to slow this down. Let's cause a little division. Let's change the subject. And so the test, it means King James has a good to tempt, really, but it means to, it's a loaded question. And it means pyranzo in the Greek. It sounds Italian, but it's Greek. And pyranzo. <laughs> and, and it means uh, to put someone to the test through enticing them. So I'm going to test you by enticing you to get tripped up. And so this is the heart of it. You know, hoping he'll take the verbal hand grenade and pull the pin. And commentators say there are several ways he could pull that pin, number one. It changes the mood. And as I've been saying, there's a lot of hallelujahs, a lot of hearts, a lot of conversions in the crowd. Things are happening. And so, so the devil's like, hey, hold on, hold on here. What about divorce, right? Now, divorce was rampant at that time. And so there were many there struggling. Under Roman law and Roman culture, that had infiltrated Jewish culture. There were a lot of divorced people. And so the wet blanket comes out. You know, it'll be a little bit like at a Christmas party. The business owners get together talking about all the profits and all the good things in the upcoming year and all of that. And one of the disgruntled employees there says, hey, what about you know the IRS and those new tax laws? You know, and everybody just stops. And says, do we got to talk about that right now? That's exactly what was going on there. It was one of the things that's going on there. Now, number two, it, 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 the pin could go off by, you know, getting involved. And in they had this uh, liberal and conservative school of thought on divorce. And Rabbi Hillel, he was the liberal. 
Now, back in, in Deuteronomy 24, which is the verse they're going to cite, saying, yeah, God's okay with divorce. They're going to go to Deuteronomy 24. So in Deuteronomy 24, it says it was okay, permitted uh, for indecency. But nobody knew what that word really meant. And there was endless discussion about there. There was a liberal thing was, and it's listed, Josephus lists it. She's a bad cook. She burns the meals a lot, all right? You could say to her, I divorce you and give her a certificate and kick her out, right? If she didn't please you, if you found someone else more attractive, that was written. So this guy is just saying, there's some, it can just mean a lot of things. Anything she did that was offensive. And then there was Rabbi Shammai. He was conservative, and he said it had to do something with uh, sexual purity. It couldn't be sexual. It could not be adultery, that word indecency, because adultery would bring, dissolve quite quickly to the marriage in that it was a capital offense. And so they weren't sure what it was. And so they said, get involved in that and alienate Jesus, alienate half of your followers. So that was one way to pull the pin. But this was the number one reason they were questioning him like this. It was a dangerous political issue. And the key to understanding how it was related to politics is location, Location, location. What does it say? He left that place, Galilee, went into the region across the Jordan. That is very rare. He doesn't leave Israel. Hardly ever. And hardly anything ever happens across the Jordan. And so this question is born while they're across the Jordan. So the Holy Spirit wants you to remember, well, what just happened across the Jordan? Well, I'm glad you're asking these questions. Um, and this is what happened. Um, it seemed nothing happened across the Jordan except John the Baptist was beheaded across the Jordan. Now things get interesting. Now let's follow the bouncing ball. Herod had a palace across the Jordan. It turns out, well, let me show you, it's still there by the way. The picture of the palace, please, on the rock, yeah. This is Israel here, this is where we'll be. You could see over. But this is Jordan, across from the Dead Sea. So they came and crossed up north, right? And so they're, they're in this region over here, sorry. <laughs> and it would be over here. <laughs> Is it desert? Yeah, yeah, it's desert. There you go, very smart. I'm glad you're paying attention. Uh, so it turns out that they don't really care so much. Thank you. You can go back to. That's where the palace was on top of the hill there. And it's amazing that you can still go and visit there. Perea. Uh, sometimes uh, we tack on that part of the trip. And you can go over and climb that uh, mountain for yourself. And so you can go back to the beginning verses there. And it turns out that these guys aren't interested so much in Jesus' theological position on divorce as much as they're trying to make him, a, make him make a statement that will make Herod angry and let Herod do the dirty work. Well, why would Herod care what Jesus has to say about divorce? Well, let me remind you. 
all right? John the Baptist lost his head because of his stance on divorce and adultery. Now, you'll recall a few chapters ago, Herod Antipas, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but Herod Antipas from across the Jordan and his wife went to visit Herod Antipas's brother, Philip, who's also a king, Herod. Well, he got the warmies for his brother's wife and the wife reciprocated and they had a torrid, awful affair and they decided to make it all legal They divorced their spouses, they dumped their current spouses, and they legally married one another. And they had a wonderful palace wedding across the Jordan. And so now that they're across the Jordan, (laughs) where John just lost his head for saying something about divorce uh, being unlawful, right, in this case, Jesus, what do you think? What do you think? Do you agree with John that Herod's marriage is invalid? Well, what happened was Herodias, Mrs. Herod, the new wife, said John is saying that what we did was wrong. And if everybody's hearing what we did was unlawful to have your brother's wife, if everybody's hearing that, how are we supposed to rule my husband? And I want that man dead. He's saying what we did was wrong, that it's unlawful, that it's not biblical, that we can just justify with a legal document our unbridled adultery. Kill him. And so they're saying, what do you think about that, Jesus? (laughs) And that's why you get Jesus hard, cold, unyielding, slap back. They'll tell you what. He says, yeah, I'm glad you legally registered the car you stole. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So now Jesus is across the Jordan. Hey, Jesus, do you agree with John the Baptist? Is Herod's marriage legit? What do you think about these things? So Jesus tosses out another question, which he loved to do. So here we go. Three and four. What did Moses command you? What does the Bible say? What does he command you? And they said, Moses permitted. Oh, did you catch that? I want to know what the Bible commands about marriage. Well, we're going to tell you what the loophole is. That's not what we're asking. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So let's talk about that. Heading there, a smart question and a dumb answer. All right. So Jesus is going to counter with a question that's really timeless, solid advice for anybody who has uh, a sincere uh, problem or dilemma. What's the Bible say? When he says, what does Moses command? He's just taking a shortcut like we would say, well, what did Paul say? We know that the Holy Spirit inspired Moses so he, he doesn't have to be corrected. Hey, Jesus, Moses didn't really say it. You know, Yahweh said it. Yeah, Jesus knows because he's equal to Yahweh in every way. So, but he has a liberty of just taking a shortcut and saying, what did Moses say? What does the Bible command? 
right? In the same way that we say, well, Peter said this or Paul wrote that. What does the Bible say? How do I overcome sin? What does the Bible say? How do I strengthen my marriage? What does the Bible say? How do I get out of debt and get ahead and stop making the same foolish mistakes over and over and over again? What does the Bible say? How do I stop feeling these feelings? How do I think righteously? How do I get my sins forgiven? How do I get to heaven? How do I avoid hell? What does the Bible say? Jesus just throws it back in their face. They ask, can a man divorce for whatever reason he wants? And Jesus says, I'll play this game, okay? What's the command? What does the Bible say? And so notice the dumb answer. He says, what is Moses' command? I already alluded to it. And they respond, what Moses permits in Deuteronomy 24. So one writer said, these guys remind me of people today who are always wondering, what's the least amount I have to do to give, to attend, to serve? Or how close to the edge can I come without falling off? They're not as interested in what he wills and what God desires, but what they can get away with. So Jesus is wanting uh, not the concession, but the command. And they're going to go for the loophole and not the law of what's on God's heart for marriage. So Jesus wastes no time correcting their warped thinking. He says, well, actually, yes, they say. Actually, yes, Jesus, there is a stipulation for divorce, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. The Bible says, yes, a man may divorce his wife. So it's lawful, right? Jesus turns. Uh, instead of what he permits, let's talk about what he planned. Jesus, now, he says 5 through 9. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But this wasn't the way it was from the beginning. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason of making them male and female and male and female only, and for that reason, a man leaves his father and mother so that they, the male and female, can be joined together in holy matrimony. The two shall become one flesh. That's the intention. That's the law. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So there's the necessary correction here. Now, when you give a foolish answer, Jesus is faithful to provide the correction, and here it is. He says, yeah, so that's not exactly what I asked you. Uh, what does God command about marriage to answer your question? So here's his purpose by going to God's plan in Genesis, right? <laughs> it's so interesting because he says, what did Moses? Moses wrote Genesis 2. So they skip over the whole creation about God's intention for a marriage to become uh, Unified, a lifetime of bonding, that's what the answer is. So if you read who's behind marriage, what is marriage for, what God intended in the first place, the law of that, then you wouldn't even be asking the question. But instead of going to Moses' first book, Genesis, Exodus, 
No, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They go to the fifth book. Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning. And that's pretty interesting to me. So once you understand the origin, the purpose of marriage, where it comes from, whose idea it is, for what purpose, Jesus is thinking they'll be able to figure out if a guy like Herod can say, huh, she's pretty cute. I like her better, so I'm going to divorce this one and marry that one. And if you go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you'll have an answer for if that's okay for any and every reason, wink, wink, for something frivolous. And today we, we have a word for frivolous divorce. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, you will have your answer if it's God's will that you divorce for less than loss of life or limb reasons. You'll have your answer. What does the Bible say? So he goes back to show them. So number one, he says, let me talk to you about the concession you went to. Number one, the concession exists because of human sinfulness. He says, because your hearts were hard. Now, interesting to me in the Greek, it's sclerocardian, where you get cardiosclerosis from. And hardness of human hearts, which ultimately Jesus is implying, is the cause of every single divorce that has ever happened on the planet, hardness of heart. This said, there's no such thing as a good divorce. There's something of less evil. But in God's mind, there's never a good divorce. There may be a relief. There may be a safety factor. But it's a lesser evil always. And that's something that they and us, we just can't figure that out. It's absolutely 100% never entered into the heart of God to have the loophole. The loophole was because of us. What does hardness of heart look like? What is he saying? In a marriage, well, it's, it's when someone maximizes uh, the other one's faults and minimizes their own. That's a hard heart. They dwell on the negative. They wash the dishes and they make a list all day long of every bad thing that's ever been said or done. That's what they do. Or they work out back on their project and make a list of everything. Do you see equal opportunity there for me to pull? Are you guys paying attention? I'm just checking because I have the lady washing the dishes probably, all right, making a list. And I got the guy working in the garage making his list, all right? And so petty, picking people apart, no mercy. You've just lost sympathy. You know, five churches ago, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, I was counseling somebody in another denomination. And Barb, by my side. And the husband, after a few sessions, broke into a sob. I rarely see a guy cry. I've cried like five times in my life. Right? The guys, they don't cry a lot. It was shocking. And the wife's face, stone. Rolled her eyes a little bit. And this was not a ginormous thing. This was about petty, stupid things. And my wife said, listen, 
you better soften your heart or you're going to lose everything. How can you look at this pain and have such a hard look on your face? What does that say to him? No one works either way. But Jesus said, listen, when you start just callousing over and, and, and not understanding that you've got a hunking log hanging out of your eye and you see the little speck in your spouse and you're like, oh, the speck, the speck, the speck. And Jesus says, you've got a telephone pole hanging out of your head. <laughs> That's a hard heart. That is a hard heart. You know, where you don't cut them slack anymore. You don't feel sorry for them. You know, it's just, that's where it all starts. And my, my friends, if you're struggling and you have a hard heart, dear God in heaven, for your own sake, look what Jesus did for you and your wretched sins. So, that's what it looks like. A soft heart will fix things. A hard heart will ruin things. So, uh, you know, he, Jesus is saying, look, because you found the loophole, that doesn't mean God is okay with it. It's a merciful way to deal with sinful people. And, and this is, since this is how you guys behave, all the ways I just listed, there, of course, there has to be a loophole. And commentators are quick to point out, oh, that... The certificate of divorce was to protect the woman from the capricious, impulsive way a man in, in some cultures could say, I divorce you, out, done. But in Jewish law, oh, no, no, you will get the elders involved, you will involve the public, you will have a hearing, you will provide evidence, and you will have to prove that that indecent thing, Old Testament, was done. And no guy wants to uh, air his uh, dirty laundry in public with his friends at the city gate and all of that. So what it did was protect women from the petty reasons why. If, and it increased the, the chances that it was a real, indeed, necessary uh, kind of provision for the loss of life or limb because it just was untenable situation. Uh, the, the certificate of divorce was to help, regulate, not approve. All right, so Jesus made that point very clear. And so he says, he goes on and he says uh, about them finding the loophole. He says, from the dawn of creation, now here's the plan. He's saying, how could you think frivolously or think you can just easily get out of something like this? He says, from the dawn of creation, God... God's plan, inherent in the actual design of how he created us, how he created us was for the union of a lifelong monogamous relationship. So he, do you hear what Jesus is saying? That you exist as a man or a woman for the reason of coming together to becoming one. So it's inherited in the very fact that you're either a male or a female for God to define marriage as being what it is. The two shall become one. So he's saying, if God is the designer, and this is the way it is, and he goes on to say, he, in the beginning, he made them male and female. 
And, and so they are to complement each other. And what I'm strong in, Barb is weak in. And what Barb is strong in, I'm weak in. I mean, just, male physical strength and feminine intuition. Male drive in zeal, female nurturing and love. Male linear logic, female emotional discernment. Have I blown myself up yet? <laughs> I think I'll stop while I'm ahead then. You know, I said to Barb, <laughs> she's so funny sometimes. I said, honey, you know, she was doing one of her routine things. She's just routine, sunny and mild, every day, kind of mm, serious. And, uh, so, and she married me. And so I said to her, while she was doing her routine thing, I said, honey, the Lord sent me into your life to save you from boredom. <laughs> and she said, honey, the Lord sent me into your life to save you from the circus. <laughs> that is the funniest thing she has ever said. Ooh. Oh, come on. We leave a restaurant. She says to me, did you like the window treatments in there? And I'm like, what? how do you treat windows? I don't know. What? Who are you? What? I told a guy recently, he made, he, made, he made them male and female. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I told a guy recently in a marriage, premarital, I said, do not do the golden rule. Do not treat her the way you would want to be treated. Oh, that's a mistake. Don't treat her like the way a guy would want to be treated or you're a dead man. Uh, half of my marriage, I was treating, I was thinking, well, what would I want in this situation? And then I'd do it, it would explode, <laughs> right? You have to think, what, what would she want? What would a woman, how would a woman want to be treated? And just one more little thing. I know I'm digressing. Male and female. Oh, she's all upset. I said, what is, what's going on? She has a tear going down. She goes, oh, I don't know. It's this and that and the other thing. And she told me what it was. And it was that. And nothing. It was a nothing. It was a big blown up nothing burger. Right? <laughs> so, so I wanted to tell her that. I want to fix it. I want to tell you, oh, that's just a nothing. And I went, that's just so, so terrible. <laughs> and I said, come here. You just need a hug. And so I put my arms around her. Right? This is like three times I've done this in our whole marriage. <laughs> In other words, I don't do this all the time, I'm trying to tell you. So I put my arms around her and I just held her and I said, it must feel terrible to, and then I filled in the blank. Do you see, that's what they want. <laughs> I just saved you hundreds of dollars in therapy. That's what they want. Do you feel what I'm going through? They don't want you to sock them on the shoulder and say, come on, that's a nothing burger. Pow, you know? Let's go shoot some hoops or blow something up. That's how I would want to be treated, but anyway. He made them male and female. Listen, listen, without being disrespectful, without making fun of anybody, Without a lot of amens, that sounds so self-righteous. Let me just say, there are 71 choices on Facebook for gender. Uh, come on, you knew that. You guys get out more. 
Maybe they've changed the number, but last I Googled, it was 71 choices. Now maybe there's 50, whatever. You know what? But you only get two. What does the book say? Facebook says one thing. What is the book? The Greek, the Bible means biblos. What does the book say? Well, well, ideally, you get two choices in life. And, And God assigns male, female, one purpose that the male and the female, because they're male and female, they come together and join what God calls a marriage. There are no other options biblically. Now, in the world, there are 72-plus options, but our response, our response is to obey God, to shine the light, to show respect and kindness and love to everybody while speaking the truth in love, right? But this is the way it is in this world. But by one or two verses, it solves everything. It anchors civilization back into its place instead of having everybody being able to say, no, you don't assign me. I identify as I please for my purposes, for my glory. I will tell you and everyone else who I am and how I will live my life. And that's the spirit of this age, which we don't tease, which we don't despise. We have compassion. We have the answer. We love people and tell them the truth. Amen? Amen. So he goes on, Jesus does. So he's, he's saying, uh, he sums it up. And I'll sum this up and then we'll close. Uh, woven into the created order, God created males and females for the very purpose of joining us together for an unbreakable, joyful, uh, productive. He says that they will cleave, first of all, they will leave the most important relationships for a higher priority. So of this male-female bonding, lifelong thing, it has the highest priority. Over, they are closer, husband and wife are closer than mom and dad and son and daughter. They're sons and daughters. Their sons and daughters are not one with them, but they are one. And that word to cleave means to cement. They're cemented. So he's saying, in light of all of that, the mutually beneficial union, joyful, productive, unbreakable, God-given, and that it reflects God's covenant with his people. That's another purpose. He said, I wanted to show the world what it would be like for the church and the Lord to come together as husband and wife. So I want you guys to live that out. That's another purpose. So if you take all of that together, then you can answer your question. Can I divorce because he irritates the life out of me? Can I divorce because she uses the credit cards too much? Can I divorce because I don't get any affection? Can I divorce? I'll I'll tell you what. I I have people who have said, now there there is emotional abuse. (laughs) Yes. And then there's looking for grounds where there are no grounds. You're just miserable. And so you use hyperbole and say emotional abuse. And I said this in front of Barb. Barb's my witness. Many churches ago. Give me an example of what you mean by emotional abuse. 
And she said, well, first of all, I can't go out clubbing on Friday nights with my single girlfriends. Number two, he tore up all my credit cards because I got us into a little debt. And that is emotional abuse. Now, I already said there is emotional abuse. There are, are people that go sideways, and, and that's a whole nother story. But these bonds <laughs> are going to have to survive self-centeredness, rudeness, profanity. You said for better, for worse. And so many times in my office, I say hello to worse. <laughs> this is for worse. But it's, I can't live this way. Yes, you can. Now, I don't know all your stories and whatever you're thinking in your head. Well, you don't know. Generally speaking, I'm talking about the stuff of life where people just become irritating and self-absorbed and rude and insensitive and all about themselves and bitter and no fun at all. There's not grounds. That is not grounds for divorce. And I'm going to talk more about that, so, and it'll be hopeful. But let's finish up. There's just a tag here, and, and it's an important tag. When they're in the house, the disciples are like, Jesus, seriously? There's no wiggle room? Wait, I, and he answered them, yeah. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman, except for marital unfaithfulness, commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So the disciples need some clarification. Now, we imagine that they're stunned. Those were hard words, you know. Uh, in fact, they said, hey, if this is the case, if what you just said is true, then it would be better for a man never to marry. And Jesus says, in essence, if, that, if they can handle that, it would be better to be celibate, Jesus is implying, than for you to go in a cavalier, careless way and bind yourself together in front of God and a Bible and take vows and produce children and then destroy everyone's lives. Yeah, Jesus says, it'd be better to be celibate if you can handle that. That's how God feels about this thing. And so he says to them, this is the way it is. Jesus sums it up in a verse that I think has been misunderstood and misapplied. So let me answer the big question, the elephant in the room, is Jesus saying we must remain in marriage no matter what with only the caveat of adultery, which permits, by the way, doesn't mandate. Jesus said, hey, somebody commits adultery, you must divorce? No, he said, there's a concession, but I think that we've seen enough people bounce back to know that with God's grace, you don't have to. But with God's grace, you can recover from adultery. Now, about the big question. Is Jesus saying there's only one exception for divorce? I don't believe so. And hear me out. So let me finish all the way. Number one, the context. Verse 12 is going to really give it away. 
if a man divorces his wife and marries another, and then if a woman divorces her husband, notice that? That was not allowed for a Jewish woman to divorce her husband. So what's Jesus saying there? They would have been, what? No, Jesus is saying he's back to what Herodias did. Herodias divorced her husband and people like Herodias. So one author put it this way. Since Jewish women were neither allowed by law or by cultural practice to divorce their husbands, and that is what we know Herodias did, Herod Philip's wife, she did that. We can assume Jesus is referencing, again, sham divorces, where people attempt to use the legality of divorce to justify all kinds of ungodly practices like adultery. This is the context of the entire passage from beginning to end. And it seems as if Jesus is saying, unless there's legitimate behavior that in and of itself dissolves the union and the vows themselves, the marriage should remain intact. That's what it seems to me to be saying. If you think that you can just kind of sabotage your your life because you want more money, that other guy makes more money and or she's cuter and you just think I'm going to just play like, oh, it's irreconcilable differences. And then you get your piece of paper and everything's cool because it's legal. You registered the stolen car, right? And God just says, I don't, he's saying he doesn't recognize that. That's what he's saying. That's what I feel that the majority of it is saying. And I like that in in wisdom, God leaves it kind of like, what? I love that he does that because it puts the fear of God where it belongs on people who would love for the quickest reason and a drop of a hat to say, I'm out of here. I don't have to take this. But you're going to think twice when you read that verse. And I like that he left it in there like that, kind of like, whoa. uh Number two, why I don't think that adultery is the only reason one can divorce, because we have been given common sense. Sometimes God says, please use the brain that I gave you. If your spouse is a murderer, let's go with non-sexual is a murderer. How about he just beats you half to death? Not all the way. I mean, he's a drunk. And he kicks the kids around. I'm sorry, okay? We're going to have to agree to disagree. I, I rarely will tell somebody to divorce. But if I think some kid is in danger or the wife is in danger... I do not think that Jesus meant to restrain us from common sense when somebody is a drug-dealing person or whatever. Come on. And my third and final reason, I don't believe it's there's only one reason to divorce, is because there are two given in the Bible by the same God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, if you get married and one of you gets saved and the other ones, an unbeliever says, I'm out of here. Guess what? 
You're not bound anymore, Christian. You are free. And if you're free, you're not bound. You're free to marry in the Lord. This is what I feel he's saying. Well, he says, you're free, you're bound. So since there are at least two exceptions, then Jesus cannot be saying, this is hard and fast. There's only one ever and ever. I don't care what you say. It only has to be adultery because there are two and because there's common sense and because there are murderers and because there are drug dealers and because there are guys that beat their kids. That's why. Now let's finish up with this. What do we do in a room filled with people with failed marriages, hurting hearts, all kinds of stirred up emotions, brokenness, failure, struggling right now, thinking about adultery, having committed adultery, having been victimized. What do we do with all of this now? I'll tell you what to do. There's a concession. There's, there's that loophole. Let me show you a picture of the loophole. There he is. There's your God. There's your God who said, take your brokenness, your failed relationships, your multiple divorces. Samaritan woman been married five times. Didn't seem to bother Jesus, did it? He still was trying to get to her. You've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now you're shacking up with. You're right. You're not married, woman. But come to me and I'll give you this water that's going to fix you, that's going to satisfy, that's going to cleanse you. So whoever you are, you grew up the way you did. My wife... uh, Six years old in the, in, the, in the driveway, waving goodbye to dad and two of her siblings. All of your memories, all of your woundings, all of the wounding you've done, all of your gender, 73 confused ideas. He says, come to me with your 72 identities and I'll give you rest. I'll create you new and fresh. He does say, Knock off what you're doing that's not right. And I'll receive you. And let's take it from today. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you and praise you for your grace. (laughs) I thank you, Lord, that we can come. Whosoever can come. And that includes, once we found you, we're still whosoever's. More than that, we're your own children. We wander away. We do dumb things, and dumb things happen to us. But you say, come to me. I'll give you rest. Yoke up with me, partner. A righteous man falls seven times. He gets up. Help us to get up, Lord, wherever we're at, and walk with you and enjoy your love. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.